Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I'll meet you there in a little while. I can't ever remember starting a message like this. If, if I said you probably won't learn anything from this sermon, some of you would think, well, it must be a failure. What good is it if I don't learn something from it? But that's not necessarily true. It's not a failure just because you don't learn anything from it because the fact of the matter is we all already know more than we practice. I think that's true of every single person here at least at certain times in our life. And sometimes we need inspiration more than we need information and uh, there's a great need for us to be reminded of things that we already know. In fact, whenever Peter, in his second letter, was writing to those Christians that had been persecuted and driven out of their homeland as he was writing to them, he said he did so to stir up their remembrance. He said, though you already knew these things, he said, I am simply reminding you and a great deal of what we see in the Bible has to do with reminding us of things that we already know. And we need those reminders because the Bible says we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Now again, as strange as it might sound this morning, I don't want you to even think about this as a sermon. I want you to think of it as just a message. Just a message. Uh, I want you to think of it as more than just a reminder even, or actually more than even a word of encouragement, because when we're reminded of certain things, it also has a way of rebuking us and warning us. And I want you to keep that in mind. Before I read my text, I want to introduce the message by asking a question. Here it is. What caused the destruction of Sodom? I don't want you to, you don't have to holler out an answer or anything. What caused the destruction of Sodom? And I suspect just about everybody here would answer the same way with a strong emphasis upon the sin of those in Sodom. But in reality, there was more to it than that. Now, before I go on, I want to stress the seriousness of Sodom's sin, by the way. We don't want to overlook that. Uh, you know, the fact that man minimizes it doesn't change the magnitude of it in God's sight. Man can promote it, defend it, legalize it, glorify it, but God hates it, and God will punish those that are guilty of it. So mark it down. We're talking about a very serious matter. However, that being said, there are other factors that were involved in it. Let me read from the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 16. Ezekiel, chapter number 16. And here we find the Lord speaking to the children of Israel through the prophet. And in 
verse number 48 of that chapter, he said, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. As I said, everybody's got one sin in mind, but I want you to notice what he says. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. That reminds us that any sort of sin is dangerous. You know, we have a tendency to see the sins of others more than we see our own. We think of Sodom and we think of one particular sin, but here the Lord says all of these other sins were involved as well. It's easy for us to look back or to look around us today and see those that are guilty of a particular sin that we associate with Sodom. And it's easy for us to, you know, to let the hammer down on them, to really criticize them. And at the same time, we might be guilty of one of these other sins that, that he mentions there in the book of Ezekiel. But there's really even more to this story than that. What caused the destruction of Sodom? Well, there was that particular sin that troubles most people. There are these other sins that have been mentioned, but there's actually something else. Another factor that could have saved the city. Over in the book of Genesis, chapter number 18, the Lord, as He unfolds his plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham. Now remember, Abraham is Lot's uncle. And here God is telling Abraham what he is going to do. And so they they begin to bargain, as it were, Abraham does. Lord, if I could find 50 righteous souls in that city, would you spare the city? I don't know what the population was, but I'm sure that was a very, very small percentage of the people. And the Lord says, yes, I'll spare it if you can find 50 righteous souls. Well, Abraham got to thinking and he began to reduce the number in increments until he gets down to 10. And finally he says, Lord, if I can just find 10 righteous souls in the city, would you spare it? And the Lord said, for the sake of ten righteous souls, I will spare the city. Look, that doesn't mean the people were going to get by with their sin. It just simply meant he wasn't going to rain fire and brimstone down upon the city and destroy all of it. That would give them more time to repent of their sin. Because let me tell you, God's not in a hurry to punish people. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the Lord says, if you can find ten righteous souls. No doubt Abraham is thinking, well, you know, Lot and his family is there. And surely during this amount of time, you know, they have surely exerted some influence upon the people there. Surely there would be ten righteous souls. But the fact is, there were not ten righteous souls in the city. We need to think about 
not only the loss of the city and all of those people, think about Lot's loss. Lost his companion, his wife. He forcibly took his wife and his his daughters out of the city. Son-in-laws wouldn't go. Makes you wonder right there, doesn't it? They refused to go. He forcibly took his wife and his two daughters and she looked back because her heart was still back there in that sinful place. She looked back and God turned her into a pillar of salt. And if you want to know anything about the spiritual condition of his daughters, just read on and what a sad, sad story that is. The loss of Lot. Now, lest you think this is a history lesson, let me stop right there and assure you that this is a this ought to be personal to every single one of us. There's a lesson here for all of us. Sometimes we fail to understand how we ought to respond to the rottenness that is all around us. The Bible says that Lot, that righteous man Lot, now keep that in mind, he was a righteous man, but not nearly perfect. He was a righteous man in that he had a relationship with God. And it says he vexed his righteous soul living in that place. He was miserable as he looked at all of the sin round about him. And no doubt had you asked him, had you inquired, what, what is it like? And he would have told you it is an awful, horrible, terrible place to live. Yet he chose to move there because of the well-watered plains, because there was a sense of prosperity there. And he sat in the gate. He had evidently attained a position of leadership in the city, at least of notoriety. People knew who Lot was. And yet Lot failed to influence those around him, just like we do so many times. Because we fail to respond to the sinfulness around us in the right way. Now, with all of that in mind, look in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 14. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He says, do all things, I guess that means all things, right? Everything we do, do all things without murmurings and disputings notice the next word it's important this is why that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain Notice there in verse 15 how Paul describes the world. He says it's crooked and perverse. That's an apt description of what we see in the world today. Words cannot even begin to explain the terrible mess our world is in. And that includes our, our country. It's so easy for us, you know, we as Christians who believe that 
that the ideal is for us to live to the standard of God's Word and we look around us and we see the sinfulness of our society and it just it tears your heart out when you see what Satan is doing to our nation today. And we ought to be disturbed by that. But merely complaining about that doesn't change it. Anyone can do that. Instead, notice what Paul tells us to do. What, what should be the response to living in a world like that? Notice he says that we are to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. And, and notice he says we are to shine as lights in the world. But the problem is we usually do the, the very things that we're told not to do. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. And some way or another, we act like we can change the world by complaining about the condition of the world. In other words, we whine instead of shine. We whine instead of shine. We ought to do as Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter number 6. He said, let your light shine. He didn't say make it shine. Don't, he didn't say put yourself on display. He is speaking to Christians in the fact that they are light in this world. That's what they are. And it's as though he's telling them, I want you to be what you are. Let your light shine. The potential is there and it will if you don't hinder it. Let your light shine. That you, that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So to make a difference in this world, we have to, we have to be different. We have to be light rather than darkness. If we're going, if we're going to shine, we have to be different than the world. It'd be really easy to spend an hour just on this. Talking about God's people is the light of the world. But if we did that, I suspect that you would get lost in all of the details and miss the point. So I'm going to get right to it and we won't be long. But listen, I want us to leave here today understanding the importance of how we respond to the world that we live in. I want you to think about what a difference that you can make by simply doing what you should. Let your light shine, he says. Just do what you're supposed to do. Can you imagine what great, what great pain and suffering that others are going through? And can you imagine what they could be spared from if they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You think about all of those people in Sodom and Look, all of them could have been delivered just as Lot was delivered had they had a relationship with God. But they didn't. And we think about those that we know, whether it's our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, whoever it is, and we think about where they are in this world without Jesus Christ. And we need to think about what a difference that we could make in their life if 
we don't just murmur and complain. If we instead let our light shine, we can provide the direction they need to bring them to Christ. We could literally rescue the perishing instead of just singing about it. It's really easy to, you know, for Tim to get up here and to sing, you know, say, well, turn to page so and so. We're going to sing, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. That's really easy. But we sing it a whole lot more than we do it. We sing about it, but we make very little effort to actually rescue those that are perishing. I don't, I don't think we see, I don't think we see the importance of, of who we are in God's plan. You're more important than you think you are. Now I know there's some people not nearly as important as they think they are. But if you're here today and you're a child of God, you're extremely important to God's plan. Think about it. God wants, He loves the whole world. He wants the whole world to be saved. Jesus tasted death for every man. That's God's plan. But nobody's going to be saved unless they first hear the gospel. Well, how are they going to do that? Well, God could have just written it in the clouds. When they walk out on a clear day, you know, all of a sudden, God could just begin to write it out up there where the, everybody could see it. He could do that. God could cause all of the woodpeckers to tap it out in Morse code. I mean, look, that's no problem for God. He could do all of that. Instead of doing that, He gave us the gospel message and told us, take this message into all of the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. And we need to see the seriousness of the situation. The world is in darkness. The world is in desperate need of light. And the only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. But they'll never be able to find Him unless they see the light of those who already know Him. God wants to use you to show others the way to Christ. That's what our response ought to be. That they'll see something in us that will bring them to the Lord Jesus who's what? The way, He's the truth, He's the life. That's God's plan for each and every one of us. It's not just the work of the, of the preacher, not just the work of the Sunday school teachers. That's the work of every single Christian. That we might in some way get them the gospel message, the same gospel that saved our soul needs to be heard by everyone that we, we come in contact with. And yet we fail so often and care so little, it seems. I said we. I didn't say you. I said we. I include myself. So many times we look at the wicked world where we live and, and, and our response to it is just a murmur and complain and, well, we've got to get the vote out. We've got to change the political system. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to get prayer back in school. We've got to... Let me tell you, you're fighting a losing battle. It's all downhill. You're not going to convert those that are out there in a world of spiritual darkness by harping about our founding fathers and, and harping about the standards of the Bible. They don't care anything about that. 
There's only one solution to the pollution that's in our world today, and that's Jesus Christ. We can change the laws for a brief time, but someone else comes along and they don't like the rules that we live by. And so what do they do? They change them back. It's essential that if others are to ever find Christ, that they see the light. They see the light. And you're the light. That's why Paul says, notice here, that we're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Now notice he didn't say that you are to be absolutely perfect or sinless. He said blameless. To be blameless means that there are no indictable charges that can be brought against you. I don't think anybody's expecting anybody here to be sinless. It'd be great, it'd be wonderful, but... We really really don't expect that because we're still here in a sinful world in these fleshly bodies and, and we're not going to be absolutely perfect. But we can be blameless in the sense that when others look at us and they observe our life, that they see that we are doing our dead level best to live the life of Christ. Blameless and harmless. Notice, as the sons of God. So to influence others... We have to shine instead of whine. That means that we've got to be at our best in the very worst situations. And believe me, the world is watching. When you go to school, young people, your classmates, if you profess to be a Christian, when you go to school, your classmates are going to be watching. Whenever you go to work, you walk on the job, your co-workers are going to be watching you. Now, you might not know it. In fact, they might not even realize what they're doing. It might be that they're not just zeroed in on you, saying, oh, he claims to be a Christian. I'm going to really keep an eye on him. They're not doing that. But believe me, they're going to watch how you respond to the different difficulties in life. There's an old saying that says, bloom where you're planted. And you know, that that is so true because most of the time we think, you know, the only thing keeping me from really being happy in life is if I could just get from here over to there. If I could just, you know, get that, do that, whatever it is, and it doesn't work. Until we learn to bloom where we're planted, we'll never be content. And that word content, when Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, It speaks about being content with things as they are, even though they're not as they ought to be, yet there is a spirit of content in his heart. Doesn't mean he's satisfied with the way the world is. Doesn't mean that his pain goes away. Doesn't mean his problems dissolve. But he's learned to be content in the state that he is in. Bloom where you're planted. That's really another way of saying shine where you find yourself. Years ago, I read the story of a woman, a Christian woman, doing her best to live for the Lord. And her place of employment was, well, it was just kind of like a typical worldly place of employment, people telling bad jokes and doing this and that. It was an awful environment for a Christian to live in. And she became so troubled. And finally, she went to went to her pastor and said, 
But the pastor, I, I, I just don't think I can take this anymore. I'm a Christian. I can't stand to hear all of those filthy jokes and see the things that those people do. I, 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 I just feel like I, I, need to, I need, need to quit my job, not be around people like that. And so the pastor asked her the question. He said, where do people put lights? She thought for a minute and she said, uh, in dark places. And without him saying another word, it suddenly dawned on her, I need to bloom where I'm planted. I need to be a light in this dark environment that I live in. And that same thing is true of each and every one of us. Believe me, you are not where you are by accident. You didn't just, you just didn't just get up and one day be in your situation. And when I say that, I'm talking about the church of your choice. I'm talking about your place of employment. I'm talking about the city you live in, the address on your street and everything else about you. God either allowed it or God appointed it. It's never by accident. As bad as it might be all around you, you are right where God wants you to be. It makes a big difference whenever we realize that we didn't get here by accident. So, well, yeah, but I got to go to the hospital this afternoon. Well, you're not going to be there by accident. It's all a part of something. God either allowed it or God appointed it. One of the two. And God expects us to shine instead of whine. Because it's in the shining that others are going to see Christ living in and through us. You know, the, maybe the best way for us to do this is to live in the light of the Lord's return. Notice, the, notice verse 16, what he says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice, now get this, in the day of Christ. You'll remember that Christ came, He suffered, He bled, He died, He was buried, He arose again, He ascended back to heaven, but then He promised, I will come again. And Paul has his focus on the fact that our Lord is going to return. And let me tell you, knowing that Christ will and Christ could come at any moment changes the way that we, that we look at life altogether. In fact, John said, every man that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. The Bible says He'll come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, when we least expect it, all of a sudden the Lord is going to appear in the clouds and God's people are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to stand before Him and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. This world is a sin-darkened cesspool that we live in. And, and we, we think, what can I do? 
How can, how can I affect some kind of a change to the world that I live in? How can I make this world a better place? And Bev and I, when we think about our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, it troubles us to see the direction the world is headed and think about they've got to live in that world. So what can we do? And so many times we just assume, oh, well, I can't do anything. Or we... We just complain about it all the time. What a horrible, terrible world this is we live in. Yes, it is, but that's not going to change it. The only thing that's going to change it is for us to be a light in the night. For us to exert our Christian influence upon those that do not know Christ. Don't ever say, well, there's nothing I can do. There's plenty you can do. I read about a man... It's on a voyage across the Atlantic. Way out there somewhere they encountered a horrible, terrible storm. He was seasick. I mean, here, here was a man that was, was tormented by the conditions. And he, he, he goes to, to his room and there gets in the bunk. And he is so sick that he can't even stand up. And suddenly the announcement is made, Man overboard! And his first thought was, oh, that poor fella, overboard. He's going to drown. What do we do? It's dark out. The storm is howling. The waves are high. What, what could anyone do? And he thought, I wish there was something I could do about it. And then all of a sudden, the thought came to him, well, maybe it'll help if I take this lantern and hold this lantern up to the porthole. And he held the lantern up to the porthole. And the light was reflected out of the window and there on the water. And in some miraculous way, that man was saved by those that had went out in the lifeboat. The next day, that man testified that there, out in that dark, stormy water, without any hope, it seemed that all of a sudden someone held a lantern up to the porthole and the light from that reflected on his hand there in the water. And someone in the lifeboat saw his hand in that reflection and grabbed him, pulled him in, and saved him. Don't ever say there's nothing you can do to change the world. We can change the world just one person at a time. It's always been that way. And the only way we can change it is for our light to shine. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that are saved and those that are lost. I look out there and I think, you know, how, how would we divide everybody up? Now, we got, you know, someone with this political party and <laughs> maybe there's only one kind politically here. I don't know. I, I won't go there. Guess I already did. But it's not a matter of who is rich and who is poor and who is black and who is white who is good and who is better. It's a matter of who's saved and who's lost. Those that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and those who don't. And for the person that is unsaved, the only hope for him is conversion. Conversion. 
we used to use that word a lot years ago. Somebody, you know, would have a revival meeting. Somebody would say, how many converts did you have? And believe me, whenever you get saved, you are converted. You become something you've never been before. You can't become a light until you become light. I hope that makes sense. You can't be a light to others till you become light. In other words, you must be before you do. There are a lot of unsaved people in the world that make good neighbors and they make a, they make a sincere effort to try to, to be nice to people, but they really can't effect any spiritual change in the world because they're still spiritually in darkness themselves. A drowning man can't help a drowning man. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, remember, Christ came into the world as the light of the world, John chapter 1. He is the light of the world. He came to bring light into your spiritual darkness and to save your soul. The other type of people that are in this world are those that are saved and and what they need is cleansing because so many times the soot of sin has a way of preventing us from shining. We're a child of God. Our sins have been forgiven. We're on our way to heaven. There's no doubt about that. But some sin has a way of just covering up the light. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we look at Sodom and we say, oh, what horrible, terrible, awful people they, they were. They deserved what they got. Let me tell you, just as they deserved what they got, you and I deserve what, what's coming to us because of our pride, our selfishness, and everything else that he mentioned there. We don't like to think about that, do we? That our testimony has been ruined because of sin in our life. Never forget years ago running into someone and struck up a conversation and come to find out this person, this person worked at a place where one of our, one of our church members worked at. Had for years and years. And I said, oh, we've got one of our church members. In fact, I even spoke about what this person did in the church. And they were shocked. They, that, that person's a member of your church? I said, yes. Well, they went on to explain that you'd sure never know he's a church member anywhere. Not by what they saw in his life. What a, what a sad story that is, folks. To think that God in His divine providence puts us in touch with those that are not saved, those that need Christ more than anything in all of the world, and then for us to fail to, to be a light to them. And the solution for us is John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can't tell you how many times, you know, the service will be over and it might be that, that there are unsaved people 
And whenever I say unsaved people, I'm not talking about people that, you know, that I'm sitting in judgment of. I'm talking about people that would admit that I've ne- I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. They would admit that. And their greatest need is Christ. And the service is over and we leave the building and somebody says, I just, I don't understand how, I don't understand how so-and-so just, how they couldn't respond to to a message like that. That is the truth of the message that God loves them. Jesus died for them. Heaven can be their home. And they say, you know, I just don't understand. No, look, I don't understand it either. And I don't understand why we Christians sit here like a knot on the log every week pretending that we don't have any sin to confess. And we get up and leave the building just like there couldn't possibly be anything wrong in our life. We need an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, devil-chasing, sin-hating revival today that calls us to be aware of our sin. Oh, it would have been so easy for Lot to stand out there on the street corner and look at the sin of the society that he lived in and even to complain about it. He vexed his righteous soul. He was miserable be real easy for him to just whine about this awful place that he lived. And yet, in all of that time, God could not find ten righteous souls that he might spare the city. I have no idea what, what number of Christians it would take for God to spare America. But I believe there's somewhere there that hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And it just might be the next person that we win to Jesus Christ might be all that's needed to preserve our country a little longer. And it just might be that all that's needed to to save your family from destruction and despair is for you to be a light to those other members of the family. Regardless of the situation, regardless of how bad it is, that you'll determine in your heart by the grace of God, I'm going to be a light to those in my family. I want them to know that you do not have to respond to the sinfulness of this old world by getting distraught about it and throwing up your hands in despair and just quitting, but rather, rather we can be a light. Will you let God use you this morning? That man there sick in his bunk said, I, there's nothing I can do. That poor man's going to drown and there's nothing I can do about it. And then all of a sudden he thought, maybe, just maybe, maybe if I can throw a little light out there, it'll help. And sure enough, that little light is all it took for that man to be saved. Let your light shine. That others might see your good works. Not to brag about you, but to glorify your Father which is in heaven. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you this morning, don't leave here without Him. Please don't do that. It'll be the greatest day of your life for you to... To, to come and just say, well, preacher, I don't understand all about it, but I'm willing to trust Him. I believe He died for me. And I'm willing to put my trust in Him. 
And I promise you on the authority of God's Word that if you'll do that, if you'll believe with all of your heart, that God will save your soul. He promised He would. Will you trust Him this morning while we stand? Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for Your loving kindness, for being so so patient and long-suffering with us. Lord, whenever I think back to years gone by and I think about, about when I first heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and I think about how patient, how patient you had been with me. There was a thousand and one reasons for you to kill me on the spot, and yet you gave me another opportunity, and somebody cared enough to be a light in my night. Somebody cared enough to share with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it made all of the difference in the world. Lord, help us, help us to be a light to let our light shine wherever we are. And Lord, may that man, woman, boy, or girl here today that's living in spiritual darkness, may they they come to the light this morning and become light in the world that we live. For we ask it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.